welcome to the Philadelphia Channel, spotlighting the innovators making meaningful impact throughout the region across a wide range of collaborative and creative fields, including philanthropy, education, technology, family life, social entrepreneurship, advocacy of the arts, and more. Here's your host, Robert Rim. For 130 years, the professionals at Bryn Mawr Trust have focused on being a collaborative partner with individuals, families, businesses, and organizations. Their culture is based on uncovering clients' needs not just for today but tomorrow, and being a responsible supporter of the communities they serve, both within the Philadelphia region and internationally. Frank Leto has served as CEO of the Bank and Corporation since 2015. He joined the bank in 2002 as a director and in 2009 became Executive Vice President and held of the Wealth Management Division. He progressed to General Counsel and Chief Operating Officer before being appointed to his current roles. Before joining the bank, Frank gained many years of experience as an attorney in matters relating to real estate business and estate planning. His charitable work includes board positions with the Bryn Mawr Hospital Foundation and Pennsylvania Association of Community Bankers, among others. He earned a bachelor's degree in political science from St. Joseph's University and his doctor of law degree from the Delaware Law School of Widener University. Frank, welcome to the Philadelphia Channel. Thank you very much. What led to your initial interests in the law and banking as career directions? Well, it's an interesting story. I, I actually always wanted to be a doctor, but chemistry was my nemesis. <laughs> so my father was a doctor and that is what spurred the interest, but a number of family members were involved in the law. I grew up across the street from a federal judge. And so it was always a part of our lives. I had an uncle who was a judge in Philadelphia, was chancellor of the Philadelphia Bar Association, and spent a lot of time both with he and the federal judge going back and forth to the courtroom, sitting in, watching snippets of cases, and it just always excited me. And when I really, truly, when I made the decision that uh, medicine wasn't going to probably be right for me, it always, the only other option was the law. That's really how my interest developed and still have family that's extremely involved with a, a brother who is a practicing attorney in Philadelphia. And getting to the culture of the bank itself, Bryn Mawr Trust takes a collaborative, a partnership approach in working with clients and depositors. Certainly, this reflects the kind of collaboration that doctors provide on a daily basis. So what does this entail for a bank? It's interesting the way you phrased the question about our collaborative approach, because that is something we really focus on literally every day here at the bank. Like every business, you want as much of a client's share of the wallet as you possibly can achieve. And people talk about it, but they do so in particularly banks, they do so in such a disjointed fashion. And what I've tried to bring to the bank, a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm not a banker, so I don't necessarily look at the business of banking through a banker's eyes, but I try to bring this collaborative approach to it. We can talk a little bit more about this concept that I came up with a couple of years ago, we referred to as one BMT. But the idea is to bring, not to push products on clients, because I think that Every institution does that. We've seen some of the you know, fruits of that in the news with some of the larger banks that were more product focused. We try to bring financial solutions to customers. That's really what we're looking at. And that means looking holistically at a client, 
not only for a banking need, but wealth management, advisory, planning, insurance and risk management services, the whole gamut of services that we have to provide at the bank. And, and that's the idea we call 1BMT. It's sort of a formalized version of this collaboration. I think, and this is Frank's opinion, but some of the best and the brightest in some of the areas that we, we are concentrated in, and we know we can support our clients in all phases of their life cycle. So we want to bring those solutions to them. And your 1BMT approach really does reflect your crucial commitment in communities beyond their banking and financial needs per se. It's been wonderful to see Bryn Mawr Trust's overarching commitment to the community. And you've tangibly demonstrated how simultaneously serving the community and shareholders far from being mutually exclusive, work hand in hand. So how does that work? 1BMT is really one of the ways that we do that. And that's the way we look at helping clients. I think we also feel significant corporate responsibility. You'll probably hear me say this again. We are a community bank. and There is something more to that than just defining it that we're smaller than the large banks or the systemically important banks. We're a community bank. We feel like we're part of the community. So we give back a lot. We feel corporate responsibility is part of our overall responsibility as a business and an organization. And so we try to bring that to bear on the communities that we, we are in, we all live in, and the communities that our banks specifically serves. So we look at things like we have a pretty significant ESG aspect of the bank, which is unusual for an institution our size, but we focus on volunteer time off. We focus on community giving. We focus on things like EITC in Pennsylvania, which is the Educational Tax Incentive Credit, where we can give to educational institutions in a meaningful, impactful way. All of these things, I think, come, come down to serving the community. Even during this crisis, when it was very difficult for people to get out, have their volunteer times off, time off, we partnershiped with a company called Philanthropy. At the end, it's spelled with a P-I. It is basically a donor-advised fund, but on a very small level, it allows each one of our employees to create what, what we refer to as an impact account. They can contribute $0 paycheck, $1 or $1,000 at their choice. There's no obligation to do it. But we try to foster within our employee base to give to the community, and we felt that was a way all of us could help make however small an impact or large an impact during this time of crisis. So it's not one collaborative idea. It's, it is a collaboration of ideas. And I think that's what we really focus on. And beyond the bank itself, what's your perspective on corporations' involvement with the communities they serve, beyond the bottom line? More and more, we're seeing companies become involved. I think the ESG movement in corporate America is really starting to gain some traction. And I think that's going to, for those companies that want to act like an ostrich and put their head in the sand, it's going to force, I think, the issue to some extent. I think it's tough. When you get large and you get so multifaceted as some of these companies, it's hard to bring yourself back to your roots and where, you know, where your business really ultimately comes from is those communities that we serve. And I think it is a mentality of realizing that this is a partnership. We give to you, you give to us. Without each other, there's, there's some dramatic uh, shortfalls 
in a community. So I don't know specifically each industry, how they can do it. I mean, I think, again, I'm going to bring up the ESG movement. That's one way. I think it encompasses a large amount of community involvement, large amount of focus on things other than your bottom line. In fact, if you were to take and look at the ESG component, I mean, some of it is costly, certainly to implement, but it's the right thing to do. And I think trying to get that focus on that, which is what's important. And within the bank itself, how do you foster that sense of community among the staff? I think there are a lot of ways. I mean, first, philanthropy is a great example. It's to try to get everyone charged up around charitable giving, but the charitable giving of your choice, not the ones we tell you you have to give to. So I think that's part of it. But good corporate spirit, you know, I think it evolves over time. I think it starts by example from the leadership. It starts there. It has to be at the top and work its way down. And I think my executive team is a great model. Every single one of my executives is involved actively in communities, supporting organizations, providing some of their expertise where it's appropriate. So I think that's really important. I also think getting your employees together. I mean, some things seem superfluous sometimes, but employee events, it's really important. Encouraging them to have fun in the work environment. You know, we do crazy things here with the ugly sweater contest, <laughs> the best looking pet contest. Over time, people do get excited for these little things and it creates a sense of community within the bank, which I think is really important. Dress down Fridays and things, you know, a lot of companies do, but they, they are meaningful. So I think that's some of the ways we try to foster a sense of community in the bank. And also a an entrepreneurial culture. You were a finalist for the Ernst & Young's Entrepreneur of the Year in 2018. How has entrepreneurship evolved over the years? And are you seeing a shift towards social entrepreneurship? Well, I think a company like Bryn Mawr has had an entrepreneurial spirit. That's why we've lasted more than 130 years. Those that don't have a stagnation, which is pretty clear. That's why I don't see, you see as many institutions as old as ours continuously in operation. Well, I think for us, it's, and I'm just going to take it to Bryn Mawr for a second. It's really important because I grew up as an entrepreneur. While I went to law school, I spent my, a lot of time in business as an entrepreneur. I even looked at our law practices as sort of an entrepreneurial enterprise. So I always look at businesses through a different lens and how, how are the different ways to do business. I do believe that entrepreneurship is evolving. I think there is as I mentioned earlier about ESG, there is more of a social entrepreneurship. I think we're, we're living some of that right now. And I think it will continue as times, time continue along and there are community-based needs and problems that have to be pursued and more and more look to, to private enterprise to do so. And has social entrepreneurship itself been growing? I think so. I do slow but steady. I think it is coming along and I, I don't know how businesses can, can survive without that focus on broader based needs other than your bottom line. Hmm. As I say, in, in the corporate world today, this environmental, social and, and governmental uh, requirements and focus is so important and it has become so meaningful. There are funds out there that only invest in securities that way. We were just recently approached by a large investment fund saying we were one of the few community banks 
who rose to the top of their screens on ESG because we focus so much on it. We try to get that out there in the community that's been noticed. We're not the only bank. They also noticed all the banks that didn't have an ESG component. So I think it's becoming more and more prevalent and important. Indeed. And charitable work is also ever meaningful as we work to give back and serve others. Share with us some of your nonprofit and foundation activities and really how everyone can become involved in some way. Well, I grew up in a family that was, I guess I'd say, charitably inclined. My father was very involved. My mother was very involved in charitable causes. And I think it was an example both my brother and I witnessed and lived, sometimes not necessarily always happily, sometimes begrudgingly as we were parted off to different events. We saw how important it was to my parents and how rewarding it was. And I think then I went to a school where community involvement was big back in the 70s and and support, and it became part of our everyday activities at school. And it felt natural when I graduated and started to work to give back to the community. So it's been something that I've always, it's just been a bit of part of my life. I've been lucky to be on the boards of a number of educational institutions, which is one of the reasons why that's such a big focus for us for here at the bank, because I feel education is so important for so many reasons and getting some people out of the bottom and working their way up. It's education ultimately that's going to do it. I've been involved in these educational institutions, but um, places like the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts and uh, land and conservation development organizations also. You mentioned the Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts. What's your perspective on how business and the arts can work closely together? To me, I think it's clear businesses and the arts need to work together to ensure many things. I think the continued viability of the arts I think the diverse voices in arts and education more and more important. I think we see that today uh, with the struggles that the Philadelphia Orchestra had had for a while. It was corporate America that had to step up to try to fill the gap. And I think it's going to be, it's, that gap is going to broaden and it's going to be corporate America that's going to have to start to make up that gap. It's clear when, when times get tough and I think probably heading into some of that as we come out of the pandemic. One of the first areas that gets cut is the arts. It's very clear. And we see that, like I said, in Philadelphia now uh, in the economic cycle. So individuals, businesses stepping up and standing behind the arts, creativity, creative opportunities, I think is here to stay and is going to become more and more important. Better to speak of it. Fostering Relationships and Results Through Creativity is a book of core management and personal values written in collaboration with Clive Gillinson, Executive and Artistic Director of Carnegie Hall, offering firsthand experiences from Gillinson and the leaders of key nonprofit, corporate, educational, and cultural institutions, including the New York City Department of Education, Museum of Modern Art, New York Public Library, and Juilliard, and major performing artists such as Joyce D. Donato, Anne-Sophie Mooter, Jesse Norman, and Michael Tilson-Thomas. The book appeals to readers, including nonprofit directors and managers, corporate executives and employees, arts administration staff and students, and the public interested in the health and well-being of the arts. 
exploring the vital benefits of innovation and organizational management, serving others and effective partnerships, access and mentoring, budgeting and well-considered risk, media and effective communications, education, and lifelong learning. We now return to Frank and Robert. You mentioned the pandemic. The coronavirus has been on everyone's mind with a profound impact on our daily lives. What are some of the specific ways that Bryn Mawr Trust has responded and how can we as a society effectively join together to confront and ultimately defeat such a pandemic? Well, the second question is obviously much more difficult. How Bryn Mawr responded? Well, again, I don't want to make it sound like we were so far out in front of the crisis that nobody else was. But back in late January and early February, I had been doing some traveling for the bank and I had a conference in Arizona and there was much news about the first corona cases in Arizona. And um, we didn't think too much of it, other than it was there in Arizona and we'll wash our hands in the airport. I came home and then I had another at a board meeting in Florida and likewise started to pick up. I had numerous conversations internally with um, our head of the risk department and our head of uh, IT about what should we do? What happens if there's a shutdown similar to China? So we tested our systems. We tested them back in February and everything seemed to be fairly good shape. We wanted to make sure we were stocked up on supplies if we needed them. And then March hit and the news began to get worse and worse and worse. Places were beginning to shut down. And mid-March, we got our marching orders that things were getting worse. And we um, decided at that point to move as many people out of the bank as we were physically able to. We decided to close our branches at the time to walk in traffic and only keep branches open that had drive-throughs. To date, we have about 75% of our workforce working, I would say, almost seamlessly in a remote environment, thanks again to my technology staff that made certain we had sufficient equipment, made certain we had sufficient capabilities for that. We have now adopted technology in a way that I never visioned probably three or four months ago. All of our meetings today occur either by phone or by some form of web uh, service, whether it's Zoom or WebEx or Global Meet. Uh, we're doing much more in the way of client events that way. So I think proactively we're out in front. We got our people out of harm's way as quickly as we possibly could. Even the staff that had to remain on site are you know, some operations folks or facilities folks, clearly our retail people who were we ensured as much as we possibly could their safety through whether it was just sterilization and you know the normal what you hear other businesses going through. So I think that was the first part of the response. The second part of the response, really uh, interesting, I was looking at the email this morning, happened March 15th, it was a Sunday evening and I received a series of emails from the Federal Reserve Bank, which gave me the biggest cause for concern and a big pause as to what was happening next about ensuring that the bank was gonna be available for needs of the consumers and small businesses as the company started to shut down. On the morning of the 16th, I know I met with a couple of people in credit and our risk management, and we put together, I think in about maybe 36 hours, 
a personal relief program for consumers where we, we had an almost seamless application and approval for, for small dollar amount loans, 5000 to $25,000, but they would happen almost instantaneously by signature. We then moved into the consumer deferrals on, for example, consumer loans and residential mortgages and through the small business and our commercial clients, offering relief in the form of modification to a loan for interest only, modification to payments where there weren't any for 90 days, and we tack them on to the back end of these deferral programs. And just some other small things, no penalty for early withdrawals of CD. And then comes probably the, one of our biggest accomplishments was the Paycheck Protection Program. We've helped close to 2,000 businesses. And you've got to remember, Brimmer Trust is a bank that did 15 SBA loans last year. And we've done nearly 2,000 this year for over $300 million. It was a yeoman's task. I had about 100 people pulled from all areas of the bank to work on it. And working 14 to 16 hours a day for literally eight weeks. Obviously, we don't do it for the profits at 100% loan, that's for sure. But we just felt it was our responsibility as part of a community to help as much as we physically could. And we got it underway. So that was probably a, a, maybe most proud of what the team did here, the way they coalesced and were able to get this done and get the funds out. We know we've helped thousands upon thousands of people stay employed or at least be employed for a period longer. We'll see how long that lasts under the governmental programs. Hopefully that helps a little bit. I'm sorry, but I am a little bit proud of what we've done over the over the last couple of months. Sure thing. And this kind of empathy, Frank, for our friends, colleagues, and neighbors, both locally and throughout the world, is great to see within Bryn Mawr Trust and other corporations with this mindset. So what innovations would you like to see looking ahead for the banking, the insurance, the wealth management industries in the coming years? It's a good question because we're working on it. We, we started on this probably about 30 days after we were in in this quarantine period where everybody was out of the office of that, we, we noticed work habits. We noticed how productive people were. And we noticed the adoption of technology, the forced adoption of technology that people before had been somewhat reluctant to accept as part of everyday business. I think going forward, and I know I can speak for Grimmar Trust, we're going to become a much better, I think, much more nimble organization because of the now the widespread acceptance of technology. We see the convenience of it, not not just because we are socially distancing because we're doing this over a computer today. We see how important it is for efficiency, and it helps as we grow scale and efficiency going forward. I think we've learned a lot about our retail model in banking, which has been changing and has been changing at light speed over the last. 10 years, let's say. Uh, small banks have been uh, very slow to adopt some of the changes that larger institutions have. We started a couple of years ago changing our branching model to more of an office. Encompasses the one BMT concept, where it's a smaller location with all of our services housed under one roof. So we think we're going to see more of that and less of the big branch like you see at 801 Lancaster Avenue here. Uh, so I think I think there are going to be a lot of meaningful, impactful changes for banks going forward. And I think broadly in business, certainly technology is absolutely it's what everybody's talking about. 
And it's proven that in not all, certainly you can't do it in a restaurant, you can't do it at a bar, but certainly in a lot of businesses, technology has really made made the difference between being able to stay in business and not. So I think that's going to be probably the biggest impact going forward. Impactful innovation, empathy, community involvement, looking well beyond just the bottom line, such key aspects impacting so many lives. And on these productive notes, listeners can find out more about Bryn Mawr Trust on their website at bmt.com and on the social media links accompanying this podcast. Frank, good to talk with you and all the best to the entire Bryn Mawr Trust team with your essential work. Thanks a lot, Robert. Good to talk to you and I appreciate it very much. Access, stream, and download the Philadelphia Channel bi-weekly, part of the International Innovate podcast series on PRX, the public radio exchange, iTunes, and online at innovatepodcast.org. On behalf of the Philadelphia Channel team and our collaborators, good to have you join us.